Hello there. I'm Shannon Gressley, your host, and this is Let's Riot. Let's Riot is a podcast produced by The Bedco, where we create space to encounter God and ask hard questions and get biblical answers. We are learning the unforced rhythms of grace here. And you've stumbled upon our conversation about how we feel God. Now, I have to tell you, I went on our Instagram at the Budco and I asked y'all, what are the questions you have that haven't been answered by the church or you haven't gotten a straightforward, practical, nitty gritty in the weeds answer? Because we do not do Sunday school answers here. And so many of y'all asked, how do you feel God? Or what does feeling God feel like? Or why am I not feeling God? Something around those questions stirs in us a lack of clarity. So we're going to get into it. And like I promised before, we're not doing cookie cutter answers here. And so, of course, like I always do, (laughs) Well, actually, that's a lie. I don't always do this. But for this podcast, I am first and foremost going to the Bible. And lucky for you, if this is a question you've had, there's nothing wrong with you. I promise. And I'll prove it to you because in Psalms 13, 1 through 2, David says, How long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? And then we find Gideon right before God used him to destroy an entire army with only 300 men. He said to the angelic messenger, if the Lord is really with us, where are all of his wondrous deeds like the ones we've heard about? from our forefathers. You can find that in Judges 6. And then in the New Testament, we find Paul writing in Acts 17. He says these words, he says, and he made from one man, every nation of mankind to live all over the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is not far from each of us. There's this tension between knowing that God is with us, that he's not far from us. And yet we have to feel our way towards him. Maybe it's in our humanness that we need this feeling to believe. To believe God when he says, I am with you. It's that Difference between that cerebral knowing that, yes, God says and promises he is with us and that heart knowledge of, yes, I feel his presence. He is with me. But if you want more recent proof that you are not weird, you're not alone, nothing is wrong with you, take it from C.S. Lewis. I know, right? C.S. Lewis wrote about this and yet we don't bring it up because it's not really fun or glamorous or sexy to talk about. But he wrote during one of the most painful times of his life, he cried out to God and got a door slammed in his face. 
He says he heard the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside of the door. And after that silence, he said to himself, you may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more empathetic the silence will become. He confessed that this heavenly silence made him doubt whether there was even a God at all. He reflected and said, there were no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house, he said. Was it ever inhabited? It seemed so at once. Why is God so present as a commander in our time of prosperity and so absent in a time of help and trouble? Those were words, C.S. Lewis, one of the heroes of the Christian faith said, even he wrestled with this idea of why can't I feel God? But in all honesty, there are two groups when addressing this question. The first are those of us who feel as if we've never felt the presence of God, or if we have, it's been a few mountaintop experiences from our lives. I think of the Christian summer camp high, the ones where we are so in love with Jesus and we feel his presence in that beautiful space, in the mountains, in the, in the forest, in the camp where there's no distraction, where we feel so near to God. But then when we come off that mountaintop experience, when we go back into normal day life, we look around and we feel like other people must be making it up or God must be holding out on us because we don't feel him anymore. The second group of us are those who have gone through seasons where we feel like we have walked in step with Jesus, where we feel the nearness of God. And now we feel like he's deserted us. We feel like David how long, God, will you turn your face from me? But before we get into it, and we're going to get into it, we're going to address both of those groups. We need a heart check first. And maybe you just need to hear this and then pause the podcast and wrestle with God for a second. I don't know. But the question is this, what is more valuable to us? God or his blessings? Do we love God or the way he makes us feel? It's a real question, guys. Do we love God or the way he makes us feel? And so I want to get into this topic first. that group that feels like they've never really lived in the presence of God. First, I want to tell you something. I want to point you to the heroes of the Bible and tell you that even they felt this. They felt like, okay, God, you promised me something and yet you've gone quiet. I don't feel you anymore. There was that mountaintop moment and now I'm actually in the weeds of it. I'm even being obedient to what you've called me to and it feels like you've abandoned me. Look at Moses. 
He was given the call that he was going to set his people free. And then he wandered with sheep in the wilderness for 40 years. And only after those 40 years was he encountered by the burning bush and sent on the mission. How many nights in the field with the sheep do you think he questioned, did I actually hear God? Why don't I feel him anymore? And if it was really real, wouldn't I be doing something by now? And then there was David who was anointed king. And then he went back to the pasture as a nobody. And he was obedient in that space. And I imagine that David had moments, even when seeking his father's face, that he thought, God must have gotten it wrong. Is there even a God at all? Because I'm supposed to be king and I'm being pushed around by my older brothers and being called wimpy by his armies. This doesn't make sense. Oh, and then there were just no prophets that spoke God's word to his people for 400 years in between the Old Testament and New Testament. There was a period where it felt like God had disappeared. He did not speak to his people. And they were just left with the old prophets and they had to wrestle with what does obedience look like when we don't feel the nearness of God. Shoot, and then there was Mary, Jesus's mother, who was pregnant for months before an angel appeared to Joseph and explained what the deal was. Can you imagine? I mean, in that period, (laughs) if you're in Mary's shoes, surely you're like, okay, yeah, God's real because I'm pregnant and I wasn't pregnant before and I haven't slept with anyone. So how am I pregnant? Right. But even then, she must have felt a little abandoned. Like, God, why aren't you showing up? Why aren't you clearing my name? Why are you letting me be ridiculed? Why aren't you establishing a relationship of trust in between me and my fiance, right? And then our buddy Paul wandered in the desert for three years and then lived in obscurity for 14 years after his initial conversion on the road to Damascus. Why don't we talk about those wilderness periods more. Because following Jesus isn't all mountaintop moments, miracles, and roses. We are not unique when we ask the question, God, where did you go? But then it begs the question, why does he let us walk through it at all? So let's talk about the all elusive concept of feeling the presence of God, shall we? These are a few principles we're going to build on. The presence of God, a relationship with him is your inheritance. You don't have to fight for it, but we do have to learn how to receive it. And two, God is not holding out on you. 
because he is a good father and he knows how to give good gifts. For me personally, hearing God and feeling his presence are very connected. And if you have questions specifically about hearing the voice of God, I encourage you, we did a whole episode on this. Go check it out. But we're going to try to focus on on our promise of being and living every day in the presence of God. But I think we confuse ourselves by putting the presence of God on a pedestal that can only be entered into with the right conditions. When we think of entering into the presence of God, we think of that perfect worship set or the walls of church, or maybe even our quiet time or whatever you call it, spending time with Jesus. That is where we enter the presence of God. And yes, we do encounter the presence of God there. And there are environments when the presence of God is thick in the air and we can feel the spirit move. But... Can I tell you the secret to all of this? You live in the presence of God. It is us recognizing that truth that the breakdown happens in. It is God's father heart that desires for us to experience oneness in his presence daily. So why don't we recognize his presence and his pursuit of us? Because guys, when it comes to this question, it's not about whether or not God is faithful because we know he is. We can look at his word and say, yes, God says he is faithful. And so he must be We can hold that as truth and build a foundation on it. So when it comes to these questions, we have to look at us, at our own hearts and say, God, what is standing in the way? What preconceived notions, what lies, what fears, what baggage do I have that is keeping me from this? What is keeping me from recognizing your presence and your pursuit of me? Because you are a good father and you pursue my heart and you desire to be one with me. This is what I want to pose as an answer. The first is that we don't know the cadence of God's affection. And the second is that we doubt our relationship with God And we aren't asking to be loved in specific ways because we don't believe that we can. But God invites us into a deep relationship where we can do that. And in it, still submit to his leadership and authority. But how do we learn God's cadence? Well, we have to have something to build off of. Right now, I am reading The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, and he is one of my favorite authors, and I'm eating it up. And he said this, and I think it describes it perfectly in the book. He says, without a structure of routines and practicals, our life with Jesus will wither away. It will just remain an idea rather than an apprenticeship. 
Guys, if we don't have something to build off of, to invite God's presence into, it remains an idea. It never has breath breathed into it. Those routines and practicals, well, it's my favorite subject, (laughs) spiritual disciplines. I'm talking prayer, meditation, study, fasting, simplicity, solitude, submission, service, confession, worship, and celebration. Yet, here's the kicker. Most times when we engage with those disciplines, we don't feel anything, and so we don't continue with them. Our feelings can become the very obstacle that keeps us from leaning in and learning the cadence of God's affection because we are unwilling to slow down. We are unwilling to rearrange our schedule and we use the excuse of I'm too busy or that doesn't work for me because the few times I tried it, I didn't feel anything and I didn't have a miraculous mountaintop moment. So I'm done with it. Or even more so, we say, I'm, well, we wouldn't actually say this, but our excuses say, I'm prideful. And I don't actually think I need those things. They're outdated and dusty. And so I'm going to try it my own way. And even though I'm not getting anywhere and I'm not bearing fruit and I'm not being transformed, I'm going to still do it because God has to operate on my time schedule and in my ways, not the gifts he's given us in spiritual disciplines. Ouch. I'm sorry if I came at you a little bit hard. I'm kind of preaching to myself right now. We need to rest in God's promises and gifts, not strive for them. Knowing that God is faithful to do what he said he would. So we engage with these disciplines and this lifestyle that he's giving us. And we live in his presence, not a momentary high. It is a gift we are offered when we take it, even if it's not instant gratification with the feeling we hoped for. Ladies, I don't mean to make you feel bad. There is not any guilt or shame associated with this. It's just a question we have to look in the mirror and ask ourselves. If we are longing for the presence of God, that we feel and recognize in our lives, are we willing to lay down our own pride, our own way of doing things, our own schedules and humble ourselves and submit ourselves to a lifestyle that God offers us. Is there any room for our hearts to be pursued by Jesus or at least for us to recognize it? Because he is pursuing you. He does want you to know the oneness he offers through his, his son, Jesus. He died on a cross for you to experience that. But here's the thing. Feelings 
and great, cool, miraculous experiences are not our God. God is our God. And we cannot substitute those feelings for who God actually is because God is better than that. God is better than that warm, fuzzy feeling that we want to start our day off with. Will we allow him to show us that he is better and make room for him for our own sake? Okay, but what about when you feel like God has gone silence and you long for and miss his presence? You've, you've lived in his presence. You've recognized his presence his presence. And in fact, you feel like nothing has changed. You haven't gotten too busy for God. You haven't filled in those places where you met with God with other stuff, with other busyness. And yet you feel like God has almost gone missing in your life. And you hear the truth. Yes, God is near to me. I live in his presence, but okay, why, what has changed? Why do I feel like God has turned his back on me and left me? Sis, let me introduce you to what St. John of the Cross coined the dark night of the soul. I know it doesn't sound fun, and I have to tell you, it's not really. When we willingly allow God to purge our souls of sin and self, we can then easily accomplish his will. Well, as easy as it gets, I guess. However, when we block and prevent God from doing these things in our lives, either out of ignorance or disobedience, or just not recognizing what he's calling us into, he sometimes will take matter into his own hands and walk with us through night seasons. The dark night of the soul or a night season is simply the transition we make from depending upon our own sight and our own selves to total dependence upon Jesus and his faithfulness. This shift brings us into a new way of knowing God. Praise Jesus. And during this time, God moves us from simply feeling good about him to a deep awareness of him and an intimacy never before known. Praise God. Seriously, let me read that again. The shift brings us into a new way of knowing God. During this time, God moves us from simply feeling good about him to a deep awareness and intimacy we've never known before. In our journey inward towards intimacy and oneness with Jesus, we will encounter seasons of darkness. It's not if, but when. This darkness can simply mean the absence of any understanding or knowledge to what's happening to us or where we are going. It simply means being deprived of the light of seeing and feeling and understanding. 
and that's okay. And we still in those seasons can declare God good because we know he is faithful and he is walking with us. And we are not depending on our own understanding or our own feeling or our own seeing, but planting a flag and saying, Jesus is still good. Jesus is still with me. And I don't need to understand. I need Jesus. During these seasons, God is teaching us to walk by faith and not by feelings or sight. And our faith begins to grow. And so we are formed into a new obedience to walk into the next day season with Jesus. But here's what is hard to understand. The dark night comes from God, not the enemy. Remember Isaiah 50, 10, it says, who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in the darkness and has no light. That light is understanding, that light is feeling, that light is, I get a reward from, wa- from walking with God. And while those things are not inherently wrong, they can become idols and stumbling blocks to us. But don't misunderstand Satan often can be responsible for hardship in our lives. And he a hundred percent rejoices when we react poorly to God disciplining us. What God allows in our lives is always for good. And Satan obviously wants to use it to destroy us. So the enemy of our souls is definitely involved in night seasons, but he is not always responsible for sending the darkness because God is unrelenting when it comes to bringing us into new depths of himself And so he identifies the most potentially damaging hindrances in our relationship with him. And he lovingly begins to scrape those things away from us. He is scraping out wounds so they don't become infected and they are burned away and squashed and remodeled in his hands. And he removes anything that is in the way of accomplishing his will in and through our lives. If you don't believe me, here are just a few examples of God allowing dark night seasons to work his will. Because God allows our troubles to drive us to our knees and bring us back to himself. Exodus 2, 23 through 25. God allows trials in our lives so we may turn around and minister to others in similar circumstances. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. Sometimes our troubles must get worse before freedom comes. Satan obviously does not want that. Therefore, he does everything possible to stop it. But it's important to realize that we can't get ourselves out of trouble. If God allowed the trial, then he is the only one who can get us out of it. Therefore, it is not 
our battle, but his. And so we cry, Abba, Father, fight for us. Exodus 6, 6 through 8. Our trouble should always push us toward God, not away from him. If they push us away from God, we should check in and be sure who is the instigator of the trial. Psalm 77 and 2 Chronicles 33. Once we understand that God is involved in our trials, it should give us hope. Ephesians 1. And God wants to use our trials as a way for us to learn his leadership. Psalms 119. God always, always has a reason for the things he allows into our lives. He is preparing us for the future, which only he knows. He is preparing us, his bride, to not only be perfect and holy, but established and strengthened and grounded in him, but also as joint heirs with him. And so we remember that God is not a masochist. He does not enjoy hurting his body, but he is building it up and making it stronger. Here's the thing. I think we often view our faith in God as a means to avoid suffering. But when we look through the lens of faith, we see that suffering in this world is a package deal with our sanctification. Our flesh does not want to become like Jesus. By nature, our flesh is an enemy of God. And so through the lens of faith, we begin to see suffering as a mercy that God allows us or even leads us into. You are not alone. Not even in the dark night. But walking by faith means believing that we are not alone, even when we cannot feel the warmth of God's presence. We say, I don't care what my emotions or my feelings tell me. I believe your truth to be truth, to be the foundation that I live my life on. And I believe that if I'm walking through this season, I can look back in scripture and say, you work all things for my good. And so praise you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are leading me through this night season. So to the sister who is in the dark night right now, who is missing the warmth of the presence of Jesus, nothing is wrong with you. You have done nothing wrong Instead, ask God for wisdom and perspective and dare I say delight in this suffering, whether we like it or not. It is intimately involved with ministry. How can I say that? Right. I don't want that. That's not what I signed up for. But in Colossians 1, 4, it says, now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body that is the church. And sister, I have to tell you, when I first read that, I was like, oh my gosh, 
How can this be true? Jesus was perfect in his afflictions. His suffering is complete on the cross. I don't add to his afflictions. And so I dug into this and that, that Greek word for afflictions doesn't refer to his afflictions on the cross, but his afflictions in ministry. Because there was suffering in Jesus's ministry. It was hard. It wasn't easy. And so when Jesus invites us to follow him, to model our lives after him, to be and join in his ministry, we have to come to terms with suffering as a part of that. But praise God that he gives us Romans 5 through through 4 when it says, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. Right? We are co-heirs with Jesus, but that also means that we are co-heirs in his suffering. And he says, the world hated me first. So take heart. The feeling we get from being in God's presence is not our savior. It is not our God. It is not the indicator as of if we have or have not been saved. We build our foundation on the scripture, on God's truth, on who he is, not who we feel like he is. But I want to encourage you and say, it is still your promise and inheritance to live in the presence of God and to experience oneness with him. But that takes sanctification. And that, my friend, is a lifelong promise. And yet it still is a promise. It is not a someday on that side of eternity. It is here and now. God is refining you and sanctifying you and scraping away the things that stand in the way between you and him. And he says, come follow me. Come sit down and have dinner with me. Come run errands with me. Come take the kids to school. Come argue with me. Come have friends with me. Come work with me. If we're not feeling the presence of God, it is not a problem with God, God is not holding out on us. It is a place where we heart check. We say, am I making room for God? Am I sitting and creating space for me to live in his presence? Am I just too dang in a hurry? And if you're like, how do I even become not in a hurry? Because that's the gospel this world preaches. I'm gonna do a quick plug the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer is amazing, and I encourage you to read it. But sitting in the Word is a great place to start first. Because we are not ushered into God's presence by anyone else but Him. We have to stop 
looking towards our pastors, our podcast, our books, our friends to fill a niche only God can. They are not going to get you into the presence of God. Only a relationship with God can. And so we find ourselves in the weeds. It is not a perfectly packaged and tied up answer. And yet it is a call to go deeper with Jesus and to ask him our hard questions continually because he's not afraid of them. And you know what? I like calling this series this idea that if the Holy Spirit had an advice column, because he does, right? His advice column is the Bible, (laughs) which might be a funny way of thinking about it, but it's true. And I hope that my overview and my going to the word for us has gotten you started on the path. But like I said, I'm not going to get you into the presence of God. Jesus does that. 